Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 9, we'll be taking it up in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. And say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart, and on your servants, and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that by then that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people, and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow morning about this time I will cause heavy rain, heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and it is not brought home, and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heaven, that there may, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called. He sent and called for Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and he spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. Then when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord has spoken by Moses. Thus far the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let us pray. Well, Lord, our God, we do ask that as we continue in our worship, as you have promised to meet with us, you promised that we would hear Christ from the scriptures, for he is the word, the very word of God from your mouth, O God, to us comes the living word. Lord, bless us here with understanding. Lord, give us attentive hearts as we take up this passage. Pray that Christ be magnified in our midst. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Do something a little different with the introduction. Some of you looked at the uh, email that went out earlier in the week with the uh, outline for the sermon. In this introduction, I want to reflect upon the Hebrews. 
We've been focused on Pharaoh. We've been focused on the plagues. We've been focused on what's happening in the land. And even Pharaoh's servants to some degree. At this point, we've heard how the Lord has sent six plagues on Egypt. The first three have afflicted the Hebrews right along with the Egyptians. This should not surprise us. The Israelites are no less sinners than the Egyptians. But also, remember this. They know about the covenant faith Lord. They know about their God. They've heard about Him. They, to some degree, depending on, on a household, they would have grown up hearing about how they are God's chosen people. And they would have heard of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the, and the covenant promises that God had made to these men, their forefathers. But do they believe the promises of God? These are important questions for us to think about in our own households. These people are slaves. Their fathers, their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers, they've been slaves. You can imagine them having questions. Has God forsaken us? Does he really keep his promises? Will deliverance ever come? Then this Moses fellow come out from the, the wilderness of Midian and says that the Lord is visiting him while there and that he's sent him to lead them out of bondage. And, and you remember, they were excited about this. They embraced this. They, they believed, we are told. But as soon as this Moses guy came and gave a message to Pharaoh, things got a lot worse. Their labor was harder. Things didn't improve. And now they've seen plague upon plague. You can imagine them asking, what kind of God is he? Remember the book of Exodus is it's about God making himself known through the plagues. He's making himself known not only to Egypt, but particularly to his covenant people, to Israel. He's making himself known. Maybe the people are thinking, maybe Pharaoh is the greatest God of all. God's struck him or something's happened and he's six times and here we are. We're still slaves. Pharaoh has not let us go. Maybe he's really more powerful than we thought. You imagine them thinking how bad it was. Like Egypt, they had no water when it was turned to blood. They suffered under the invasion of frogs and the affliction of lice. Maybe all this stuff is just legends and myths that our fathers have passed down to us. At this point, the history of the Exodus is it's looking pretty hopeless. Okay, now yeah, the last three plagues, we, we, we didn't experience them. We heard about them. Maybe to some degree they saw how it was in the land of Egypt. Don't we look at life and the events of life, something like that, with some level of discouragement and hopelessness? Was it Peter that wrote, you know, people say, since the beginning of time, you've been telling us that Jesus is coming again. Where is he? And he says, well, it's like in the days of Noah, where people were married and given in marriage, but everything just seemed to go along until they were struck. You can imagine the children of Israel having something of the same sense of hopelessness. But let's see what happens next. We're going to use five main headings. The Lord's great warning, and, and I use the great in the sense of it's, it's a greater warning. It's a longer warning. It's a very specific warning, and it's great in the seriousness of the warning that God gives to Pharaoh. And then we hear the Egyptians who feared the word of the Lord. Now they responded. Their, their fear is evidence of some faith, and they responded to the word of God and took actions, even as God had warned. You could say they obeyed. And then we'll look at the plague of hail, and then more briefly we'll look at Pharaoh's confession there at the end, and once again, Pharaoh's hard heart. And then as we conclude, we'll reflect on our own lives in the world once more. So we begin with the Lord's great warning. This is verses 13 through 19. The third plague begin. The third plague begins with um, the third cycle of plagues. I'm sorry, this plague begins with the third cycle of plagues. We've had one, two, three, and then we have four, five, six. And now this seventh plague begins with seven, eight, nine, a third cycle of three plagues. And these last three plagues have to do with matters of the sky, things that are happening in the sky in the heavenly places. The hail, a great thunderstorm is his evidence. Locusts brought in by a strong east wind. And then darkness, which is certainly in the sky. The contest then between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman is heating up. The previous plagues were, they were severe. 
they were catastrophic, but the scale of destruction in the next three plagues is hard to imagine. Just think about that. We've talked about the plagues that have hit now, how severe they were. Uh, not just inconvenient, but affliction of a major scale. And we've just heard recently how all the livestock, all kinds of livestock perished. But what's coming is more severe. The Lord gives then a great warning to Pharaoh this time. God gives Moses a longer message for Pharaoh. And the very nature of the message makes it clear that God, the God of the Hebrews, is going to escalate matters. He's taking it up. Greater things. He's going to bring things to a climax. The thing, the climax, as we know, is within the death, when the death angel goes throughout the land. As before, the Lord spends Moses in the morning. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and go before Pharaoh. The Lord has sent him before at this hour. Just as with the first and the fourth plagues, which were the first of the sets of three, here we have on the seventh plague, Moses goes before Pharaoh. You would wonder, is Pharaoh paying attention? Is he recognizing, Oh, Moses has come out before me early in the morning. And in the past when that's happened, there were three plagues and three plagues. He should expect what, children? Three more plagues. Presumably, as the king of the land, he's a bright man. But he's also a man with a very hard heart. Let us not fail to see the realities then before us. Pharaoh's magicians could no longer stand. Here's Moses comes with the authority of God, and he stands before Pharaoh. But now the magicians who have been present can no longer stand before Moses. It's quite a contrast. God's messenger, Moses, stands firmly before this powerful king, king over the largest nation, the most powerful nation of that day. And as before, Moses' message is the same. It's the same message of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. How, look how the Lord then speaks. What is, what's going to follow no longer depends upon Pharaoh, what he does. He's going to continue to rebel, but the Lord's going to continue to afflict him. Look at verse 14. Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart. And on your servants and on your people, that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. There's, there's no caveat. If, if you repent, if, if you will let relent, then, then I will. But no, God says, I'm sending all my plagues. Things are moving forward. Things are escalating. Things are going to become much more severe because of Pharaoh's refusal. Let my people go. Literally, the language is send my people out. But Pharaoh has refused to send the Lord's people out. And therefore, the same verb, the Lord is sending all his plagues. Moses won't send the people out, so the Lord is sending all his plagues upon Egypt. The problem is Pharaoh's heart. So God has made Pharaoh the heart of his target. Indeed, Pharaoh's heart. And notice what God says, at your very heart. My plagues, I've sent them at your very heart. Now, we need to understand a little bit about Egyptian culture. They believed that the king was a god. And that what was in the heart of Pharaoh was what was the will to take place. That's what would take place. Pharaoh had this power. Pharaoh controlled their lives. It was Pharaoh's heart was the driving force then of national policy. It was out of Pharaoh's heart that he commanded that all the baby boys should be thrown into the river. That they should be murdered immediately upon birth. Pharaoh's heart is what's hardened. He's hardened against the Israelites. And Pharaoh believes that he alone is sovereign. So what we've seen, this is the struggle. Pharaoh believes he's sovereign, that he has absolute role, uh, rule over his people. This is what the people are persuaded of. It flows out of his heart. This is his very heart. That all should bow before him. But no more. My friends, this is the great lie that Satan gave in the garden. He came to Adam and Eve and he says, 
You know, if you eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, then you will be as God. You won't need God. You can be gods. And this is the problem. We sinners believe that. Even young children, they believe that they are gods. They can act as though they are God to do what they want to do without consequence. Satan would have us all to believe that lie. My friends, do you still believe that lie? Do you believe that your will is supreme, that you can have it your way? If indeed that's the case, then your heart is the problem. Then the only hope is that God would give you a new heart. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world to do. He's come to give dead sinners living hearts. He's come to take hearts of stone out and give them hearts of flesh. And then by doing so, the sinner who believes they're sovereign, that their will is reign supreme. You see that even with a small child that indeed they would be yielding, learning to yield to the Sovereign One, even the living God of heaven. Well, in verse 15, the Lord makes it very clear that thus far He has restrained His hand. Look what He writes. It says, Now, if I had stretched out My hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, which it has done so, but He's saying, if I had unleashed My hand, then you would have been cut off from the earth, utterly destroyed. God is fully capable of completely destroying the nation of Egypt. And he said, if I had done so, that would have been the case. God's turned water into blood. He sent millions of frogs into every house, needing drop and even bedroom. He sent lice and swarms of flies. And then followed with all this was the disease that killed all kinds of animal and not even a few of them. Then he inflicted man and beast with painful boils. Things escalating, things severe. And now God's telling Pharaoh that all this, as severe as it has been, if it is nothing compared to what he is capable of. What, what they've seen, what they've experienced is nothing compared to what he's capable of. God is saying, I am capable of just completely destroying you. And indeed, the next several plagues will demonstrate that as they escalate, that how great God's power is, how able he is. So what do we see here? This is a very important principle about God. Children, you should note this. God is long-suffering. He's long-suffering with us difficult, rebellious, obstinate sinners. But He will not always suffer. God, we're told, is merciful that He should be feared. If Pharaoh has not perished, and, and, and he's presumed that ultimately He will prevail, that He can win this contest, because of God's long-suffering. But God's saying, no, you are not destroyed because I am long-suffering, because I am merciful. I am capable of destroying you and your people with one word. God is long-suffering. But for Pharaoh, it's as though God is saying, I'm not going to suffer your foolishness any longer. Things are going to get much worse. Verse 16 but indeed, for this purpose I've raised you up. The, the language is emphatic. But indeed, if God had not raised Pharaoh up, here's, here's a, this goes hand in hand with God hardening Pharaoh's heart, which we're told he's done that now with the sixth commandment, the previous commandment. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. We're going to hear near the end of this one, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But moving forward, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And here God is saying, I have raised you up. He's literally saying, I have made you to stand. You have stood thus far with these severe blows because I have decreed it. I have decreed it for what end? For this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power to you and that my name may be declared in all the land. Pharaoh's not standing because he's powerful. He's standing because God caused him to stand. There's only one reason Pharaoh is still there. Because God is making himself known through all the earth. Is that not true even down through history? Humanity is not wiped out and destroyed because God's purposes are still being accomplished. God sustains sinners. He gives them life. He sustains them in their sins. Even as they go on in that life, he's given to sin and to sin for his purposes, for his glory, that his power would be declared. Verse 14 God says that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Remember how a generation later, 
The first city they come to and they cross the Jordan, that is Israel, they cross the Jordan and they come to Jericho. You children will know about Jericho and how the walls came down. But before that happened, Joshua, who's leading the people, they sent out spies into the land and two of the spies went to Jericho. And then when they were sought after, they took shelter. They hid in the house of Rahab. Rahab had become a woman of faith. She believes in God. And what she said, we have heard of what God did to Egypt. We've heard about the plagues. We heard how He brought you across the Red Sea and destroyed the armies of Pharaoh. We have heard. And for her, she believes in God. And she says, and the men of this city are terrified. They tremble because you are there on the other side of the Jordan. They're terrified. Why? Exactly what God says here. For this purpose I've raised you up to and I may show my power in you that I may declare my name in all the earth. Wow. God's at work. Remember that even in our day, that these truths are still the same. And then verse 17, Paul, uh, God says to, to Pharaoh, as yet, you might say, and yet still, although this is true, you exalt yourself against my people. Now, of course, it is exalted. Pharaoh is exalting himself against God, but it's his people. He says, I will keep these people. I am sovereign. They're in my land. They will serve me. I am their master. And God says, as yet, that's the case. And thus you do not let them go. But you're going to know. It's a longer warning. This is a greater warning. And then God describes the very thing that's going to happen. Now remember, there's some of the plagues that have suddenly come upon Egypt. There's been other plagues that God has told Moses to tell Pharaoh about. And this is one of them. He says, you exalt yourself against me. You won't let my people go. But behold, and this is a, this is a significant word in the Hebrew. Hina. Sometimes translated low. It's, in the Hebrew, when they would come to that word, they would encounter that in the reader. It's like, pause for a moment. Pay attention. Something significant is about to follow. Behold. Tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down such as has not been since the beginning or the founding of the nation. Therefore, we talk about God's mercy. Do you hear it here? Verse 19, Therefore now send and gather your livestock. Those animals that survived the pestilence, gather them. Go and get them. And all that you have in the field, that would be your servants and everyone else, Bring them in, for the hail shall come down in every man and every animal that is found in the field that is not under shelter, will be not and that what's not brought home, they shall die. God's giving warning. God's being merciful. Gather. Gather things in. Make provision. Do some protecting. What we're hearing, what's going to happen is you we see this is a mighty thunderstorm that's coming upon the nation of Egypt. And we've talked about that the plagues don't necessarily correlate to one of the gods of Egypt. The Scripture doesn't tell us to take note and say, well, this god was attacked, this god. But God is humbling Pharaoh. He's humbling Pharaoh himself. But indeed, you see this humiliation brought upon the gods, the, the, the false gods of the people. Well, this one particularly, the Lord will mock the Egyptian gods. They had the god Nut. Children, you like that name? Nut. He was worshipped. She was worshipped because she was thought to control the sky. And then there was Shu, who was worshipped because he was thought to hold up the heavens and the sky. And then they had Tefnut, worshipped because she was thought to control the rain. So these are gods they worship. They think that these gods regulate the weather patterns that come upon Egypt, and they're thinking that if they do that, they'll get favorable weather. Well, God's fixing to upset their false ideas. He's going to show them the lies and the foolishness of that, that God is the great God. God's going to whip up and bring about a thunderstorm, the likes of which they've never seen, and it's going to cover the whole land. You know that thunderstorms will form and they pass through. Would you imagine a thunderstorm big enough to cover the nation of Egypt? No, we can't imagine that. Imagine one thunderstorm big enough to cover New England. That's what God's doing. And not just a little thunderstorm, but a powerful one. But before it happens, God is merciful to even warn Pharaoh in this hardness to bring his people in, bring the animals in, provide shelter for them, because if they don't, they're going to die. 
Before we go on, let's just consider. God, the Lord, has been merciful to the children of Adam. God visits men within, because of their iniquity, with sin. I mean, with, the, with, with trouble. He, he has brought a warning, though. What is it? The warning, the most important warning of all, God has warned every man, all men, to flee for there is a day of wrath coming. The Scriptures tells us that the deeds of men are written in books. Books that shall be opened on the great day, the last day, the day of judgment. These books shall be opened and God will judge every man according to his deeds. This is a warning. And what follows then is a lake of fire, a pit, a hell, an abyss of fire. Jesus taught more about hell than he did heaven. He was given a warning that we should take note, children, adults, take note that there is a hell that waits for the unrighteous, those who are ungodly and have not sought refuge in Christ, who have not come out of the world into the shelter of the Almighty. You see the warning. Bring them out. Bring them in. Christ invites us to come from out of the world and out of our sin and iniquity. Come and find shelter in Him. In the Proverbs, I think it's 10.15, we're told that, that the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous flee to Him. I can't help but think about a sermon I heard from an Australia, a Kiwi, actually, a New Zealander. Ivan Davis, he preached on that text way back in my first pastorate. The title of his sermon was, Run, Baby, Run. That's the warning. Run! Sinners, run to Jesus. God has warned us of the wrath to come, a lake of fire and His wrath, where all shall stand before Him. And those whose names are written, uh, or these, uh, their accounts are written in those books, are going to be judged according to what they've done. But Revelation also tells us there's another book. The Lamb's Book of Life. And in that book, the names are written of those who have run to Jesus. Who heeded the warning. They ran, baby. They ran to Jesus. They've heard the call of the Gospel. And the Holy Spirit has worked in them effectually calling that they would run and flee to Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, the One who can take away even the sins of the world. God-man who came into the world to save sinners. There's no other like Him. As He said, I am the way. There is no other way. Children do not believe lies of the world. We live in a pluralistic society that would have us to believe that all religions are legitimate, that ultimately everyone will get to heaven. That's a universal lie. Only those who have taken refuge in Christ shall be saved. And we've been warned. And we've been invited. And Jesus says, Whoever will come to me, I will not cast out. So run. Yes, run, baby, run. Run to Jesus. Flee to Jesus. The hailstorm that we're going to hear about that fell upon Egypt is of no comparison to the ultimate judgment of God and His wrath and hell. Well, we begin second, or secondly, we move on to the noting those Egyptians who feared the word of the Lord. Verse 20 and 21 tells us about it. Moses records that he who feared, this is a broad he, this is anyone who was in this category, he who feared the word of the Lord. Now, how could that be? Well, obviously, as Moses engaged with Pharaoh, there's an audience. There's officials that are present. And maybe those who govern the various providence of Egypt that have come up, they've heard this word, and you can imagine them, some of them fearing God. They, they hear the word of God, and they fear, and they send messengers warning the people, bring your livestock in, seek shelter. Tomorrow morning, and indeed the message wouldn't have reached to the breadth and the length of Egypt, but there were those who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh. We're going to hear more about the servants of Pharaoh. But at this time, there were those amongst his servants who made their servants and their livestock flee into the houses. They brought them into shelter. Verse 21 tells us, But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and livestock in the field. So that's those who don't heed the gospel call. Those who reject the promise of God that if you come unto me and come to Christ, I will set you free. I will give you salvation. But this is remarkable. Here's our first inkling. And we're going to see this as we move along. God in His mercy is sending forth His Spirit even amongst the Egyptians that there are those 
who fear the word of the Lord. It's not because they were wise or righteous. It wasn't within them. It was, the, it was God Himself sending His Spirit into these Egyptians, giving them new hearts that they should heed the word of God, that they would fear the warning of God, and they took action. They made provision for themselves and for their livestock. Here's the indication of God's grace. We're told in the Scriptures that there were God-fearing Gentiles, men of Rome, as Luke speaks of, who feared the Lord. Here, in verse 20, is a foreshadowing of the Gospel age. You read in the book of Acts that Peter was summoned by a certain Roman centurion, Cornelius by name, that an angel appeared before him and he said very specifically, send to Joppa to a house of a certain Simon the Tanner, and there you will find a man named Peter, and summons him to come. And so Peter goes, and Peter goes into this Gentile household because the Lord has just made it clear to him that what was considered unclean is clean. He goes in and he preaches the gospel, and the Spirit of the living God falls upon Gentiles, and men are converted and added to the kingdom. And so it is then, as the gospel goes forth through the Apostle Paul, here we see a foreshadowing of it. God having mercy on Gentiles, which was always His plan. Remember in Romans, Romans 10, I think it is, maybe 9, that Paul speaks of this was a mystery. This is, this is something that was hidden, but now God has made it known that the gospel is for all peoples. I hope you, my friends, see how important, how critical it is that you believe the Word of God some might be here who have confessed Christ, but by the way they're living, it shows that they're not living for Christ. Christ welcomes you to come to Him. And He calls all men everywhere to believe the Word of God, to fear Him, and to come to Him for salvation. Well, then thirdly, we come to the main... Well, not the main feature. I think the main feature in this passage is the extended warning that God gives to Pharaoh. God did not have to do that. He was gracious to do this, and He's done it. And there were those who heeded. They took measures. They brought their selves in. They brought their livestock in. And now the hail falls. The next day, verse 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heaven, that there shall be hail in the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses is God's instrument. And Moses obeys. Verse 23. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent hail. The plague came. Children, just think about this. Children, can you remember a thunderstorm? Do you remember some thunderstorms where the sky got really dark? And the thunder rattled the windows in the house? And sometimes you could even feel the floor shake? Those kind of thunderstorms. And then lightning firing off sometimes the lightning so close to your house that you see the flash, you hear the crack, you feel the rumble. Alarming, right? Very alarming. I mean, we've seen the aftermath of of thunderstorms and the destructions they can bring. Trees brought down and, and often what comes with thunderstorms? Tornadoes. Very destructive. What happens in the thunderstorm? Some of you kids may have studied this in your science that is, you have two different temperatures. You have a cold front and a warm front, and they're mixing, and there's these powerful updrafts, rising of air that shoots way up high into the sky, and they carry moisture with it, and it gets up there, and it freezes into ice, and then it starts to fall, and it gets picked up again by the updraft, carried up, picking up more moisture, carried high up into the heavens, over and over, and so a little raindrop starts becoming a piece of ice, hail. And sometimes... Hail has fallen the size of grapefruit. Imagine being outside and one of those hitting you in the head. It would at least give you a concussion, not split your head open. You can see how hail can cause people to die. So this is what God is sending, this great thunderstorm, this massive storm. Now, we know from history that hail was rare in Egypt down through their history. And when they did have it, it was uncommon for it to be stones of any size that would have caused any damage. So what's happening, what God is sending is unprecedented. There would have been those that have never even seen hail. And certainly not on the scale 
of this storm. What did God say in verse 18? Such as has not yet been seen in Egypt since its founding. You know how long a period of time that was? At this point where this is happening, Egypt had been a nation for 1,800 years. That is 1,800 years. And God has said, you, in your 1,800 years, there's never been a storm like this in Egypt. But then God sends along with the hail, there's other features, lightning, thunder, or as the scriptures, fire darting toward the ground, the bolts of lightning. Verse 24 tells us hail and fire mixed with it and a heavy rain. Now what's interesting, the word translated thunder is actually voice. The thunder. Scriptures, it's the voice of God. God's rumbling. He's speaking of His power. It's a manifestation that in the storm, God is speaking. Think about the next time a thunderstorm comes along. It's not little uh, Irish leprechauns or something bowling in the heavens. The thunder, in a sense, is the voice of God. I have sent this. This is my power. This is what I'm capable of. You think I'm making that up? Read some of the Psalms. God rides upon the winds of the storm and He speaks of the bolts of lightning are His bolts of lightning. Remember the contest of sovereignty between Egypt and or Pharaoh and God. God is sovereign. Every bolt of lightning striking right where He sends it. Every ball of hail, no matter how big it is, hitting precisely where He would send it. Even if a raindrop falling where He would send it. God is in the storm. Every storm. All storms. And this is a storm, an unprecedented storm. We sang Psalm 29 earlier. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. That's His voice. The voice of the Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. Cedar is the most powerful and strong, strong of trees. The word hail occurs 29 times in the book in the Old Testament. 29 times. 20 of those times refers to this event. It's happening here, and then when it's recorded and referred to later on. This is massive. This is monumental. In Psalm 78, this event is remembered. He, that is God, destroyed vines with hail, their sycamore trees with the frost. He gave up their cattle to the hail and their flocks to fiery lightning. He casts on them fierceness of His anger, wrath, indignation, and trouble by sending angel destructions among them. And He gave them a path for He made plain a path for His anger. He did not spare the soul of them from death, but gave their life over to the plague. God is not to be trifled with. And Pharaoh is trifling with God. But the Lord is going to cause him to stand. You would think after this plague hits that Pharaoh would have crumbled. But he didn't. Verse 25, we're told, And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. As I said, this was a, a thunderstorm, a scale of which covered the whole land. So that it was... So that all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb, that is every green thing of the field, and it broke the trees of the land. This is a destructive force. It's not a little cloudburst. Once again, there's death in the land. More death. Man and animals dead. We're told that the plants that were maturing were ruined. But again, we're told that God once more makes a distinction between Israel, the Hebrews, and His people. Look at verse 26. So, all the land of Egypt, where it's stressed, all the land of Egypt, throughout the whole of Egypt, and then there's an exception, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. God preserved His people. He made a distinction about his people. God discriminated between the Egyptians and the Israelites. What a mighty God. Our God is a mighty God. A great and mighty God. Great in power and wonder and in deed. Let all the people of the earth bow before him. 
Well, you think this would have Pharaoh's attention? It did. Verse 27, our our fourth point. Pharaoh makes a confession. Verse 27. While this is going on, Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron. I don't know how they walked around in the midst of the storm. The storm is still on because it's not until Moses goes out that it stops. But God preserved Moses and Aaron. He protected Goshen, right? So Pharaoh summoned these two men and they came before him. Notice Pharaoh doesn't summon his magicians. He doesn't need anything more from these men. They're impotent. Moses does not even send his servants to verify that Goshen was spared. No, he finds Moses in the middle of the storm. He sends for him. It may be that Moses was not far away, that God told him to linger in the king's chambers, to stay and take shelter there while the storm came. We're not told how it was, but he was found and he came before him. And what we see... We've talked about this before. We're going to see one of Pharaoh's, another one of Pharaoh's foxhole conversions. You know, like the soldier in the foxhole with bombs bursting all around him. He cries out, Oh God, have mercy and spare me and I will serve you the rest of my life. And then the war's over and he goes and lives for himself. Well, that's what we see, a foxhole conversion. What we find here is a confession of the head and not of the heart. A confession of his head and not of his heart. What does Pharaoh said? Verse 27. I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Well, there's there's a lot to be commended about that. But Pharaoh does not acknowledge that this is the consequence of his sin. What Pharaoh is doing here is pretty much to escape this event. He doesn't say that in the past. He says, I have sinned this time. Pharaoh is not saying, I am a sinner. That is my very nature. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm altogether corrupt. God, redeem me. He's just saying, I've sinned this time. And again, remember, the Egyptians believed their king was perfect, a sovereign who could not err. And Pharaoh is acknowledging that he's erred. I've sinned this time. In those days, someone who came before the king was expected to grovel or speak to the dust as uh, some of the Egyptian writings speak of it. To lay before him and declare the perfections of their king. But God has broken this notion of Pharaoh's pure and untainted character. The king is forced to say, I have sinned this time. But as I said, this is a long way from God have mercy on me, a sinner. I deserve nothing but your wrath. It's a small improvement. It's but a small improvement. And notice he adds, the Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. But this reality will not last. Pharaoh is only paying lip service. He just wants out of this present calamity. He just wants the Lord to stop the storm, storm this death and destruction, just as he has other times. He no longer wants to hear. He says, entreat the Lord for me. He wants the voice stopped. The voice of God thundering. Well, Moses answers Pharaoh, Notice Moses is not deceived or due. He says, As soon as I've gone out from the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord, and the thunder, the voices, will cease, and there will be no more hail. Moses has already been told by the Lord what he's to do. So Moses can tell this with confidence. And then he says, Why? When I'm going to go out, I will do this, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. You are not sovereign, Pharaoh. You are but a man. God alone is sovereign over all the earth. And that is a message for all that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. And then Moses knows. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. What you're saying right now, I've said this time, this is not the fear of God. This is not the brokenheartedness of a sinner coming to God looking for salvation. He just wants the pressure removed. Like I've said before, Pharaoh's heart's like a bent bow at this point, and it will snap back to the nature that he has, a sinner, as soon as the pressure is gone. So then Moses provides us some information. It's interesting. Verse 31, we're told about the crops. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head, and the flax is in the bud. These plants are maturing. They're coming to the point of approaching to be ready for harvest. And the hail stripped them of their bud and of their head, and they're utterly destroyed. 
The crop is lost. The crop is absolutely ruined. This crop that would sustain the people is no more. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. Even in our country today, this fall, another month or so, farmers in the Midwest will start planting wheat. And it will spring up into little shoots. And over the winter, snow, cold, everything will come on, and it'll be fine. And then in the spring, as things start to warm, it's got a head start, and it immediately grows vigorously, so that come summer, it's ready to be harvested. And that's what's happening here. These are late crops. They're just little shoots, or they may still be even in the ground. And so the hail has had no impact on them. Children, you know what's coming? Locusts. Those little shoots are doomed. And Moses is telling us some information. He's telling us the destruction. He's telling us the condition because there's more to come. Verse 33, So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and he spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder, that is the voice of God, ceased. The hail ceased. The rain was not poured on the earth. It was over. It was at the end. But then we see Pharaoh's hard heart. It's our fifth point. As soon as the plague ended, so did Pharaoh's false repentance. Do we not understand that with our own hearts? Like a bow, a snap. His true nature was evidence again. Hard. We heard in the sixth plague that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now let us take note and be warned that Pharaoh is said to have hardened his heart once more in this. And his servants followed him in hardening their hearts against the Lord. And we see how in the text that under the pressure, the sinful man will show a willingness an accommodation, as it were. Even a sort of giving in by confessing sin and crying out for relief. But once the calamity has passed, the relief is given. The sinful man returns to its fortress of self-reliance and self-confidence. And so it is this day. Many who sit under the preached Word of God they come to this point, to come to points in their life of calamity, of serious sin perhaps being discovered, some sin they've committed, and they scramble around. It's as though their world is crumbling, and they try to cover up and take care of things. Perhaps they cry out, Oh God, have mercy on me. Their respectability is about to go. They beg God for help, they beg God for deliverance. But once this come, as I said before, like a dog returning to its vomit or the pig to its wild, they go right back to their sin, living for themselves, their comforts, indulging their habits. As this narrative moves forward, we read that the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart with each remaining plague. Chapter 10, verse 20. Chapter 10, verse 27. Chapter 11, verse 10. Pharaoh has become so insensible to the judgments of God, the time for Pharaoh to make his choices about repentance is over. Pharaoh is hardened in reprobation. Pharaoh, in all these situations, he controlled his heart, but he never controlled the consequences for his choices. Pharaoh is responsible, and God is sovereign, both at the same time. In Exodus 9.14, God explained to Pharaoh his purpose. We saw this throughout John's Gospel as well. Jesus preached to the Jews, and they were without excuse. They heard the Word of God from He who is the Word of God. They heard the truth of the Gospel for the One who is the Gospel, One who brings salvation, and yet they refuse to believe. God says to them, as He says to many today, all day long I stretched out My hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And indeed, so many stumbled over Christ and Him crucified. To them, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. They want to maintain their sovereignty. They want to... Uh, continue to live in a false idea that they are God, that they can order their days. But to those who believe in Christ and His cross and what He's accomplished, there's hope. They have hope in Christ. They have the promise of life everlasting. Indeed, the reality of it. My friends, do you flee from Christ? Are you fleeing from Christ? Or are you fleeing to Christ? Should we come back to reflecting 
how uh, the Hebrews in their circumstances, let us reflect on our own circumstances. I don't know how much you follow the news. I hope you don't follow it a whole lot. I follow it to a certain degree. I'm aware of a lot of things that are happening in the geopolitical realm, the financial realm, all around the world, things that are moving. And if I focused on that, I would despair. I would utterly despair how things are going. You see a nation in a whirlpool leading to the end. You look at history and you see that we are in the, taking the very steps for our own destruction. And it would be so easy to despair. Like the children of Israel. But God is sovereign. Christ is on the throne. Christ is ruling and reigning. And He has said, I will build My church. And the very gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My friends, no matter how much you're paying attention to the circumstances around you, whether it's your immediate life or friends or family or the geopolitical realm, Christ is building His church. The Gospel is still yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the affairs of men. Look for the hand of God. God is at work. And He's still being long-suffering with men. There is still His mercy extended that those who would repent and believe God and come to Him should be saved. My friends, do not despair. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be one of the Hebrews and the plague is falling, experiencing the verse 3 and then hearing them and just the wonderment of it all. And these are people who, they did not have the Scriptures. They did not have the Scriptures. They had oral traditions, even some things that are true that will be inscripturated by Moses. They had so little. And you can imagine their confusion, their wonder, even their anxiety. My friends, we have the fullness of God's revelation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have faith in Christ, you are bound to Him. And there's nothing that man can do to you. You're secure. Just like Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as you may know them. O king, know this. Our God will deliver us from your hand. Amen today. Our God shall deliver us from the hand of the wicked. We are secure in Jesus. And Christ is king. Amen. O Lord, our God, we do bow before you. With gratitude that you reveal these things to the sons of men that You've exalted Your Son over all men and kings and nations. Nations have come and gone. How many, Lord, since the days of Egypt? And You reign on high. O God, we rejoice that we know You as You are, the sovereign God, the all-powerful God. Oh, how great is Your power. By Your voice, the cedars break. And You are our Father. And you hold us in Christ in your bosom. We are sheltered. We are secure. In this life and in that which is to come. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.